From the over-the-top studios in Boulder, Colorado, I'm George Thomas, and uh, my brother happened to be in Hawaii yesterday, and he endured 38 minutes that were probably pretty unforgettable. Sterling Thomas, thanks for joining us to chat about your experiences yesterday. Hello, glad to be here. I'm, really? I'm glad you're still around. <laughs> <laughs> So, I mean, what was that like? You were in the Molokai airport, and you get this notification on your phone. How did it come through? How did you find Tell us about it. Well, I was sitting at the Molokai, Molokai airport, which is probably one of the smallest, most laid-back, casual airports in the United States. And uh, I'd been working there two days and was heading back to the big island. And all of a sudden, everybody's cell phone started making the loud uh, emergency alert sound, which has happened before. They've tested the system over the last several months. You get uh, a loud noise on your cell phone, and then you look at the text that comes over, and it tells you that they're testing this new ballistic missile warning system. So it, it happened again, and so you pull your phone out, expecting to see just the regular old message that this is a test, and everybody kind of looks at each other, and it says, this is not a test. Uh, an inbound ballistic missile is on its way. This is not a drill. And so everybody looked at each other, and you kind of go through the five stages of grief in about 10 seconds. So there's immediate denial. But then you realize there's nothing I can do. So you just might as well accept it. And at least at the Molokai airport, everybody was pretty casual about it. Calm, collected. A few people started calling home. And, and then the people at the airport started calling I'm assuming trying to get verification. And at least on Molokai, probably after about 20 minutes, they had received verification from different sources that it was a, a false alarm. So we didn't experience the whole 38 minutes. But um, there is a realization, and it's very quick, that if this is, Indeed, not a drill. Life as we know it is going to be very, very different. And it's just, you have to accept it very quickly because there's really no other option. I mean, your first reaction so when you saw that, experience. that just seems like such a blood runs cold moment. Yeah, first it's just, un, it's unbelief. It's like, really? Are they really being that stupid and launching and uh and there's a little bit of a denial going on no it can't be and and then it comes back on again and uh we noticed that there was no sirens on molokai going off for the previous test there'd always been a siren that had gone off at the same time so we were a little bewildered why there wasn't a loud siren going off. Uh, they have these sirens on large, like, cell phone towers all over the place. And so not only do you get a text alert, but there's also the siren that starts wailing. 
uh, similar to tsunami alerts that happen here, um, you know, not real frequently, but occasionally. You know, if you come to Hawaii a lot, you you get a tsunami alert every now and then. Now, you said something a little earlier. Could they have been that stupid to actually launch? And it makes me think, I mean, you actually live a pretty high-risk lifestyle of rock climbing, uh, alpine climbing. Uh, it's not you sail alone uh, long distances, so it's not like you live a risk-free life. But when you're out taking a chance that you're actually... Uh, really kind of making yourself, that's got to be a very different feeling than this, where you also said, yeah, I can't do anything about this. Yes, and, and I've probably the thing that's prepared me the most, I uh, came to a real, realization the last couple of years when you're sailing from uh, the mainland to Tahiti or Hawaii to the mainland, you're out at sea sometimes for four to five weeks, and you realize you're really in control of nothing. And it's this little mind switch that has to um, change in our sense of reality that we often think that we're in control of our own destiny, but really, in reality, we're not. And being out on the open ocean tells you that, and you learn that very quickly. And having gone aground on on a reef, on a boat being captained by another individual late at night, and hanging onto a ship for hours on end, you certainly realize you're in control of nothing. <laughs> but in those situations, you feel like you have some options and that you can take action and do something. But for the inbound missile that's going to hit the ground in 15 minutes or less, there's nothing you can do, really. In fact, a lot of Hawaiians are wondering why they even have that system. There's really nothing you can do. So um, why let people know they're about <laughs> they're about to be annihilated? <laughs> there's no there's no fallout shelters. There's no place to hide. Uh, so I think the Hawaiian officials, and this was strictly the state of Hawaii that made the mistake. It had nothing to do with. Uh, the federal government at all. It was just local officials who had decided that they wanted to start this warning system again. Um, so I think they're going to reevaluate it, and, and they may do away with it. It's very possible. They could just say, you know, it's not worth it to um, send people into panic for no reason. <laughs> so in the end, it was, it was kind of humorous, but you also think the, the scary thing about this all is you wonder, could it have started a chain of events of, of things you can't take back? If, if um, the North Koreans had seen that there was an alert going out that we were being attacked, I mean, you would think their immediate thought is, well, the U.S. is going to retaliate, and maybe we should let go now with everything we have. So it does make you wonder if it's um, Dr. Strangelove uh, is about to happen. You know, nuclear war by accident, by stupidity, by human error. So it made me think of Slim Pickens falling out of the B-52 bomber on, on top of the warhead, just uh, going out in a hoop and a holler. <laughs> 
I hate to say it, but that is actually the first image that popped in my head was you actually being the Slim Pickens character going, okay, this is it. (laughs) Well, if I had to be in one place, Molokai is a pretty good place for something like that because the Islanders, most people have never been to Molokai, but it's quite different than the other Hawaiian islands. And there's very little development, very little tourism and most of the people are self-sufficient. They're subsistence farmers. They do a lot of fishing. So you can take care of yourself pretty well on Molokai if you have to for a long period of time. So I thought, well, if it's going to happen, this is a pretty good place for it to happen. <laughs> so you said you went through the five stages of grief in about 10 seconds. And by by saying that, I mean, were you kind of at peace with what was com- coming and or what was thought to be coming? And just a feeling of, okay. Yeah, very quickly. First, you know, it's, yeah, the stages of grief. And I may forget a stage, but I know it's a a shock, anger, denial, uh, resolution or discussion and acceptance. So I kind of went from shock to acceptance in about 10 seconds. And I think most people did. I think, I think most people, all of those things happened pretty quick. There wasn't time to get angry. Uh, there wasn't time to have a lengthy discussion. Um, but you certainly were shocked. And there certainly was a moment of denial. Um, and then acceptance followed pretty quickly. And kind of to wrap up, uh, was there any mingling among the people that were there and just some goodbyes? Oh, there was mingling. Uh, we were all looking at each other and, uh, and saying, oh, m- most people tried to contact their uh, family and uh, loved ones. But um, I chose not to do that, Zach. I decided just to wait and see what happens. I figured... Uh, you know, I'll deal with it when it comes, but I didn't, I didn't feel like I need to, um, call people and, and necessarily, uh, concern them. They knew where I was. So, uh, if something happened, they knew I would be on Molokai and, and, uh, I might be there for some time, very possible, but I have a lot of good friends on the Island and, and, uh, it's a pretty nice laid back place to be, uh, if there's a natural disaster, <laughs> well, and this was a natural, and a man-made one, yeah, an unnatural disaster. Although Molokai, uh, yeah, has had its share of disasters. It was the old leper leper colony during um, Imperial Hawaii Hawaii days, where they put all the lepers. Um, so it's it's an island with a very interesting, unusual history. This last question for you. Was it thought of passing away or were you thinking this is going to be, I'm going to be stuck here with a very different life for quite some time to come? Um, the thought on Molokai, at least the, the few people, I mean, and again, the Molokai airport is, is not a busy place. There was probably, um, eight to 10 passengers waiting to board a plane. And there was probably that many 
uh, airport workers. So there wasn't a whole lot of people there. Um, and the prevailing thought is, well, they're going to hit a Wahoo. It's going for a Wahoo. And the thought was probably it would destroy a Wahoo, certainly. Uh, you never know what the radiation is going to do. You know, if, if radiation drifts your way, then it's not good. But if it drifted out to sea, the thought was, well, we just might be stuck here for a while. If, you know, if you're a visitor, um, but it would certainly cause some problems. I mean, they, they wouldn't get, um, delivery of supplies or fuel. Um, things would certainly take a, would certainly be very different, no doubt. But no, probably not. Uh, but again, you don't know. You just don't know. There could be several missiles coming. They could have launched one for each island, possible. There's just no news. Um, but it, it was uh, an interesting place to be for a very short period of time, just the realization that uh, life could change as we know it. And not just for us on the islands, but everybody. Um, and then... the realization that, yeah, we're not in control of anything. We're really not. I mean, anything can happen. And I know from you, Brother George, you can be riding your bike, having a great day, and all of a sudden a deer jumps right out in front of you and, and life changes. And, you know, you weren't in control of that deer and you really weren't in control of, of the outcome. Things just happen. <laughs> Very much so. We just have to do, We just have to do the best we can with whatever comes our way. It was a little bit of a sucker punch to the gut. You know, you get that kind of um, out-of-breath feeling, like you've just been kind of elbowed in the gut without knowing it was coming. So you kind of pause for a minute and catch it. But um, the people on Molokai, anyway, were um, very calm and collected and and uh, um, no problem there. I, I saw some pictures on Oahu where, yeah, you're in a, in a place with lots of people. And then when I finally got back to the big island, the, the Molokai airport is served by what they call commuter airlines. They're little single-engine um, planes that seat about nine people. They're the Haviland bombers, I think they call them. And we don't go to the big airport, but after I finally landed on the big island, uh, the, bit, the larger airport handling the larger planes was just mayhem. And I found out later that they had uh, made all the passengers deplane. All the planes that landed were still out on the tarmac. And uh, when the, the small plane, Mokulele Airlines, landed, the pilot goes, thank you for flying Mokulele. Uh, we are five minutes early. And there is no, there are no lines that you have to go through and wait. He was kind of poking fun at the bigger airlines a little bit. <laughs> so, uh, it is nice to have the little commuter airlines. You avoid all that TSA stuff. and um, They're very convenient, and uh, they, they do tend to run on time or even early. So I felt very lucky to be on a small plane. 
Well, I was thinking one thing I do have control on is coming to visit you in the near future and drink uh, Mai Tais on the beach. That's right. It's never a dull moment here, that's for sure. Huge surf today. Uh, right here outside the door, probably uh, 8 to 10 feet. Other shores might have 20 to 25. So I got thrashed pretty good today, but it was a lot of fun. <laughs> well, I'm certainly glad <laughs> you are here to enjoy it. Sterling, thanks very much for joining us. All right. Thanks, Brother George. From the Over the Top Studios in Boulder, Colorado, I'm George Thomas. ACAST powers some of the world's best podcasts. Here's a show we recommend. I'm Ned Fulmer. And I'm Ariel. We're from the Try Guys, and we have a new podcast called Baby Steps. It's an irreverent parenting podcast because parenting is not perfect. We just had a newborn, baby Finn. I got pooped on. Ariel has pink eye. <laughs> I don't have big guy. <laughs> we talk to some experts. We even bring you 4 a.m. thoughts from our garden. Oh my gosh, it's literally 4 a.m. Just to <laughs> go back here, I thought I got poop in my eye. Yeah. And that causes pink eye. Parenting is a mess. We're a mess. You're a mess. Join us every Sunday. Listen to Baby Steps on ACAST or wherever you get your podcasts. ACAST, 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 ACAST recommends. recommends.